Hey guys, it's your host Julian. This week I'm sitting down with one of my favorite guests and people of all time, Linda Semensky, and we're chatting the early days of Nickelodeon and her career. I want to give a special shout out to a couple of our patrons that helped make this podcast possible. Bill, Brent, Eight-Legged Bird, Patrick, and Jacob. Thank you all so much for your support. It truly means a lot. If you want to become a patron and help support this show, check the show notes below and sign up today. Now, let's get on to my chat with Linda. I asked you to come back because I heard a great podcast that you were on and you told some amazing stories about your time at Nick. So I figured we could take that uh, metaphorical DeLorean and go way back to where your career first started and talk about your time with the orange splat Nickelodeon. So how do you get to Nickelodeon? Ah, well, that's a good question. So this is sort of a, this, there's a, there's a real story here. So, um, my, my, uh, summer job the year after sophomore year of college was at warner brothers in new york and it was uh they had an east coast story department for their film division and uh it was basically where i realized that i really wasn't cut out to work in film that it was tv that i wanted so it was good to find that out and i had a had an interesting summer you know i filed a lot of things and read a lot from the slush pile and you know met some interesting people and went to some cool screenings and uh like i said realized that the film industry was not going to be where i ended up so that was all good to find out um my uh my last week in new york that summer i was on the elevator with a woman who turned out to be the hr person for uh, what at at that point what was called um, Warner Amex Satellite Entertainment, and this was the sort of parent company. It was a joint venture between Warner Brothers uh, and and uh, American Express, believe it or not. And they had a couple of cable channels, and the big one was MTV. And uh, so this was this would have been the summer of uh, 1983. So the big one was MTV, and then there was Nickelodeon, which was not as big and not as well known, but you know it was on cable systems. And you know at that point, uh, you know Nick was was pretty different, but uh, I wasn't even particularly familiar with it because you know I was in college. Um, but Anyway, I uh, I got into a conversation with this woman on the elevator and followed her off the elevator when she told me that she was the HR person. And I was like, hey, so next summer, can I come back and uh, intern at uh, MTV Networks? And, and she was like, well, here's my card. You know, give me a call sometime in the spring. And uh, and so I was like, yay. And, uh, you know, that was that. But, um, you know, when the time came, I actually, you know, I called her and uh, what she did tell me, you know, she was like, you know what I, I have that I really need someone for is there's a, a producer at Nickelodeon who needs um, some help from someone a couple days a week. Would you be willing to come in and do that? It's not an internship. It's just like a summer job. And I was like, yes, please. And like, I couldn't believe my good fortune, you know, I was going to go work at Nickelodeon for the summer. And so that's what I did. So that was the summer of 84. And, uh, you know, I worked a few days a week. Um, Jerry Laybourne, who eventually became the president, she was like director level there. There were like people above her who were, you know, high level sort of, you know, like sort of um, advertising type guys who had 
big jobs doing this. And uh, there are a couple of other people. Ann Sweeney was there at that point and uh, um, a couple other random people who would be there for the long haul. Um, Scott Webb was, was, I think, just starting that summer. But anyway, so I worked there for a producer who was doing You Can't Do That on Television and Mr. Wizard's World. And uh, it was, you know, and I, I would go to like, like, you know, sort of like edits for like they'd acquire a show and they'd get a whole box of of masters and they'd have to sort of format them to work on the air and things like that. So I'd go to those kinds of edits. So I I really got to experience a lot. You know, I was I was not very uh, uh busy some days. So like I got to do all sorts of things and there were all sorts of people sort of wandering through. There were maybe 20 people working at Nick at that point, if that many, you know, and that's like all across the company, 20 people. So it's a pretty cool summer. And I had thought, wow, you know, I'd give anything to come back here after college. And then the producer that I worked for and uh, pretty much all the people on her team got jobs in other places in the course of that year. So when I was like calling them to see if I could come back, they were all gone. And, uh, and, and I was like, Oh, but then uh, I got a job at Showtime, right. Like maybe six weeks after I graduated. Um, And so I got this job at Showtime where I was, um, I was a a department assistant. And so, uh, you know, which is a fancy word for secretary. And so I was, doing that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, that was pretty interesting for a first job. One of the people I worked for was Peter Chernin. So that was, uh, you know, he went on to be one of the big guys at Fox. And now he, uh, you know, he's he's uh, sort of known in the uh, anime world. I think his company put a lot of money towards uh, bringing anime over. I'm not sure if they were connected to Crunchyroll or not, but some company, I'll, I'd have to look that up. But anyway, he was a, a pretty awesome guy to be working with because he was brilliant. And um, yeah, a couple other random people that I, I worked with in those years who were all pretty nice people. And uh, so I worked there for a year, a little over a year at Showtime. And then I, uh, someone at, at uh, MTV tipped me off that Nickelodeon was going to be hiring, hiring some uh, schedulers. And so I applied for a scheduling job at Nick, which was a programming job where you literally are doing the scheduling. It's like they give you like, you know, they're like, you know, you can't do that on television. We'll be on at four o'clock. And then this other show is going to be on at four 30. And basically your job was to put a schedule together, work with an ad sales person who would put in all the commercials time everything out so that it's, you know, started on time, you know, add filler as needed, add promos as needed. Um, You know, a little bit of it was strategizing. Okay, what are we promoting this week? How many times do you have to promote it in the course of a day for a kid to see that promo and, you know, for it to have impact? Um, So there's a little bit of that kind of thinking, but mostly it was just, you know, you get the whole day put together, time it out so that things start on time and then start the next day. And I remember my my login on that computer was Sisyphus. And I remember thinking, that's so accurate. <laughs> that might be a bad thing. So, uh, so I did that for, it was less than three years, but it seemed like, like, you know, a small lifetime. Uh, 
loved working at Nick in those years. We're talking, you know, 86, 87, 88 was when I was doing the scheduling. And then uh, they started talking about starting up an animation department. And I had, from day one, made it pretty clear. I really loved animation and would love yeah. to, uh, you know, would, would love to be, um, you know, doing something with animation. And so so that kind of worked out. And I had a, uh, like, a funny moment that sort of, uh, it was just one of those interesting things that I think you'd, you'd probably find the story kind of funny. I, uh, so after the Simpsons premiered and I saw the, you know, the Tracy Ullman shorts, I was, uh, it was really curious about the company that did the animation. So I didn't, I'd never heard of them. And so I was reading Millimeter Magazine, which doesn't exist anymore. It was like sort of an industry trade. And they had a little ad in Millimeter Magazine and it was for, uh, it had a picture of the Simpsons and a picture of the other character who was in the very early Tracy Ullman shorts. And it was M.K. Um, Brown, her cartoon, Dr. Uh, Janice Nigudatu. And so it had pictures of the two of them and it said, call for our reel. So I was like, I'll call for their reel. And I was like, hi, I'm from Nickelodeon and I'd like to see your reel. And they're like, okay. And they send me their reel and I watched it and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. But, you know, I, I was still working, just working in scheduling. I couldn't really do anything. So uh, then not long after that, their sales guy calls and he said, Gabor Chupo and I are going to be in New York and we'd love to come by Nick. And, uh, and so I said, well, you know, I have to confess to you that I'm like the least powerful person in the entire company. So, you know, all I can do is give you a tour. And they're like, oh, that would be cool. And so they came by. It was this guy, Larry LaFrancis. And Larry and Gabor came by. And I just gave them a whole tour of Nickelodeon. And so, but what happened after that is suddenly everyone at Nickelodeon sees me touring the company that does The Simpsons around the building. So like, they think I'm I'm pretty tapped in. And, you know, I was a member of a CFAS, so, I, you know, I knew people in the New York animation industry, but these are the only people I knew from, you know, from, from you know, the biz. And so, but anyway, you know, we had this really nice visit together. And, and you know, I said, if I'm ever in a position where I can do anything, you know, if they ever start up an animation department here, I'll call you. And they were like, okay, great, thanks. And so it was probably a year and a half later you know, they they start up an animation department. They hire Vanessa Coffee to run it. And uh, I got to move into it as like the number two person. And so I called Klasky Chupo and they come in and they pitch, um, they pitch like 12 ideas to Vanessa. I wasn't even in the pitch. You know, I was like, I was like so low, you know, in the company that I didn't even get to go to this pitch. But they pitched 12 ideas, the 12th one, was Rugrats. So, so that is, about you know, a closer. yeah. So I would say I'm like a connector in that way. You know, I, I may not have made the, the big moves, but I made the little moves that made the big moves happen. So, so that was kind of my claim to fame for a while was that, you know, I brought Klasky Chupo in and they pitched Rugrats and that was, uh, you know, one of the early pilots that we did. And then, um, there were other there were other pilots at that point that uh, so th we're talking about 1989 at this point 1989 1990 
thereabouts. And that's when I moved from programming into animation. So, so that's basically the trajectory of it. So it was, um, I, I always think back, it was like there were a couple of red X's on the ground and I stood on the red X and the thing fell on me and I took it and I ran to the next red X and then the next thing fell on me and I just grabbed that. And, you know, so it was like a little bit of luck and a little bit of timing and a little bit of, you know, being an animation fanatic and like, you know, just like wanting to see all the animation. This is before people really had like lots of, lots of, you know, uh, tapes of animation, you know, just the, the Jerry Becks of the world had lots of animation and the rest of us did not. So, yeah. you know, I would, I would read the movie listings of every place and see if anybody was running any sort of animation and I would go and watch it on the weekends or at night. And so, so every bit of animation that passed through New York, I would, I would go and see. So I was like, just learning a lot from seeing a lot of things and reading as much as I could, which was, there was actually very little written about animation back then, but you know, I was really interested in the film board. So, you know, I would write to the film board, like while I was still in college, like, you know, hi, I'm a big fan. Do you have any information about the film board that I could read? And they'd send their little booklet about the film board. And so I was, you know, nerdy and and, and sort of obsessed. And and uh, I think I was just so excited that there was animation that was for adults. And I was so excited that, you know, I could go now and watch, um, you know, Looney Tunes on the big screen at MoMA when they were having their big uh, Bugs Bunny retrospective there, you know, and I was, I was sort of like, you know, showing up at all these events, the one woman in the entire place, you know, maybe there'd be a couple of others, you know, maybe, maybe Candy Kugel was there, but you know, not many of us and, and all the guys, they, all the, you know, male animators and cartoonists would be like, hello. And, <laughs> you know, you know, it, but, you know, I was just, I was so goofy, but so committed, so committed to animation. And, uh, and so, you know, I'd go to anything that was about animation. And, you know, this was back in an era where like Chuck Jones would show up somewhere to sign, you know, like those uh, cell sort of serious cell type things that, that he was selling at the time. And, you know, there'd be 20 people there mm. and he'd know oh, half Jesus. of them. And so, you know, because like animation was not cool in 1985. It was just not. And um, so, you know, we had it to ourselves. And so you could could do things like that. So that's how I met a lot of people. And and that's how I met Chuck Jones and things like that, just sort of showing up. And then, you know, by by the time that, uh, you know, those those four major things happened in the late 80s, you know, uh, uh, Roger Rabbit and mm -hmm. then and the Simpsons and um, uh, Little Mermaid and uh, Nickelodeon and MTV, you know, uh, which I, I sort of count as one because it was all coming out of one company, but really two different things. But all of those things happened in the span of a few years and you know, the animation industry, like Roger Rabbit just kind of reminded everyone, you know, that they liked animation. And, you know, like everyone started wondering why they liked it so much and why was it so bad in 1987 or 88? You know, why wasn't it good anymore? And so that was a big motivation for Nickelodeon to sort of go back and think about, you know, what they did in the 40s that made it so good and what we needed to do, which was, you know, give the creators a little more control.
Do you like Nickelodeon? Do you like whiskey or whiskey cocktails? Then you should hang out with us. I'm Ty. I'm Sean. And we run Whiskey Lodian the podcast. Ty, what is this podcast about? It's where we drink whiskey or whiskey cocktails while rewatching the old school Nickelodeon shows we loved growing up. And let's be honest, we go on a lot of tangents. So many tangents. Are we on a tangent right now? Yeah, I think so. Oh my gosh. Well, we got to get back. We are covering Rugrats. Hey, Arnold, are you afraid of the dark? All the golden greats of Nickelodeon. And these shows give us so much joy. And we want to bring you that same joy. So find us wherever you get your podcast at Whiskey Lodian. And I got to cut you off right now because we honestly cannot afford any more ad space. And it really just kind of has to end right. And so, so that was all happening at that point. And so I had a, you know, front row seat for all of those kinds of decisions. And, you know, I got to be there when, you know, all these interesting things were happening. So it was pretty exciting. We made, um, you know, we made like eight pilots back in 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 that period and and uh you know three moved ahead uh rugrats doug ren and stimpy all made it to series um a couple of the others got some intensive development and didn't quite make it out of there but we we made a couple of things that weren't very good we made something called weasel patrol which was a pretty funny comic book that we somehow turned into a not very funny animation. And, uh, and um, yeah, it was like, you could look at the three uh, pilots or the three shows and say, wow, they really knew what they were doing. But you could look at all eight pilots together and say, oh, they got lucky. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, they sort of knew what they were doing, but they also didn't know what they were doing. And, you know, we were all learning. We were all learning. And that was like something that really permeated everything we did. It was like, if we got it right, we could save animation. We could reinvent animation and, you know, do great things. If we screwed up, you know, we were just like all the other people who said, we're going to change animation and then didn't. So we felt a lot of pressure on us. And that was why everyone was always stressed out. So that, there you have it. That Those are the early years. That's, you know, that's how it worked. So, so... Uh, yeah, it's a long story, huh? <laughs> oh, no, I, I like long stories because when I can sit back and just listen to you guys go, I love it. Um, there was a couple things I wanted to ask you. One of them more is more of a hypothetical. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Now, we've heard for for years and years and decades and decades that the 80s were destitute when it came to animation. Like animation fell off. A lot of it was was toy driven. Uh, it wasn't very... Mm-hmm. Um, just wasn't what it would be in the 90s. Now, with that being said, mm-hmm. was there a lower bar set at Nickelodeon? Obviously, those three that you had mentioned that made it through that pilot program, Doug, Ren and Stimpy, um, and then uh, shit, why, Rugrats. I don't know why I blanked yeah. on that one. We were just talking about Klasky Chupo. Mm-hmm. Um, but w- did, it seem, did it seem or did it feel like the bar was set lower because of the cartoons in the 80s? No, no. I would say the opposite. I would say the bar was set so high that most people in the animation industry did not believe we would achieve what we said we were going to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember saying to someone that, you know, we were looking to do creator driven animation. We wanted it to be really funny. We wanted it to be gag driven. We were really influenced by Bugs Bunny and the Warner shorts. And, and you know, we wanted to, we wanted it to be different. We wanted things to be made differently and to look different, feel different. And, you know, we wanted the animation on Nickelodeon to be really sort of, um, you know, just like something kids would love and people would be like, yeah, right. 
we've heard that before. Good luck yeah. around, you know, and I, I think people set the bar low for us, but Jerry Laybourne kept the bar really high. You know, it was like, this has to be really funny to kids and this has to be really like good quality animation and it should not look like everything else. And it should not be feel like it was factory made and it should not be toy driven. And it, it, you know, and, and it was to the point where like, we didn't even really want to work with people who had a lot of experience because we felt like, you know, their experience would probably be in something that wasn't quite right for us. So we really set out to look for people who just had really different sensibilities. And that was what really helped with Rugrats was, you know, Klasky Chupo just had a really different sensibility. And the writers were, you know, like writers who worked for um, Gracie Pictures, um, you know, the people that were, uh, uh, you know, like working on on Simpsons related things with them, you know, people that they met through that company that, uh, you know, were coming over to work on Rugrats and, uh, you know, and people, independent filmmakers like Craig Bartlett, who was the uh, story editor on the first season of Rugrats. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that was the goal. It was like, let's get all those independent film people in and let's get all those like, you know, sort of disgruntled, unhappy industry people who, you know, just really, they have their own style. And uh, it's sort of like, you know, who are the Tim Burtons of TV? And, mm -hmm. you know, who are these people sort of toiling in animation, but they have their own ideas and their own styles, and they just want to do a thing with them. And the thing that they want to do would be really funny and work for kids. And so, so, you know, it was a pretty demanding goal. And, you know, and like I said, and when you told people about it, they didn't even, they were like, that's cool, but you're never going to pull that off. And, uh, you know, people just felt like, you know, enough people had tried to do different things and always just ended up doing the same thing. So I would have to say that's what in some ways motivated us the most was to prove that we were right, that we were going to do <laughs> this thing that we knew would be good and that it would be great. And you know what? Then when it worked, we were like, whoa, <laughs> that worked. Like, like it was still kind of a surprise. You know, I remember the, you know, we put our shows out there and Entertainment Weekly gave us an A for all three of them. And, uh, and, and, you know, and then we won an Emmy with Rugrats. And, and so we really felt like, okay, this is, this is good. You know, this is a good direction. Um, and, uh, you know, and then, and then we just sort of continued to make interesting decisions. And uh, there was a lot of pressure on us. The bar kept going up, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. once you, once you have three shows like that, you know, you come out with a fourth and there's a lot of pressure on you to, you know, have something really great. I think, you know, there were people there at the time who who did not think that, you know, Rocco was, uh, you know, going to, to, you know, turn out to be a hit. I think it, you know, it sort of built slowly, but certainly it has as many fans now as any of the other shows do. Maybe more, you know, maybe more people uh growing up from that era talk about things like Rocco and Hey Arnold than and and then they do about like you know some of the others. Um but yeah that that you know the the bar was high always very high. 
exhaustingly high sometimes. <laughs> well, I can imagine. I mean, you guys are trying to change the world. Uh, and then when, when Cartoon Network, you know, first started, uh, you know, Ted had bought Ruby Spears, Hanna-Barbera. He bought all those. And it was first year or so, maybe two years mm -hmm. until the original programming started with uh, Space Coast, Coast mm -hmm. to Coast. It was a lot of, you know, mm -hmm. rerun channels. Was that right. ever a a thought that Nickelodeon might do within, within conjunction of the three titles that, that hit it off with the pilot series? Or were you guys always trying to shoot for new original programming? Well, they already had a lot of like old cartoons on the air. You know, they ran old Looney Tunes and they ran, uh, you know, they they had a lot of, you know, at one point they were running UPA shorts, I think. Mm -hmm. They had the old Paramount short. Like they ran old things. And then there was Nick at Night and Nick at Night was sort of like our version of running reruns. But there was never any. Well, here's something funny. Uh Nickelodeon was in the middle of of making a deal for the Hanna-Barbera library. Really? Um, I don't think they I don't think they ever ran anything from it because I think then in the middle of that it just kind of shifted and they ended up selling it to uh Ted. But um but Nick was like going to run a bunch of Hanna-Barbera shows. Oh, what a world that would have been. Yeah. I don't I don't even have like super vivid memories of all that i just have this vague memory of that happening where they were making that plan and um you know it, it it's they were always sort of a combination of uh lots of different things so um but yeah in those later years they definitely were running like animation that you you wouldn't expect to see like those paramount shorts mm -hmm. that was and they weren't that good but you know, they were interesting. <laughs> interesting, if nothing else. Now, I, I know it's like picking your favorite child, so I'm not going to ask you which of the three you like the most. But was there one that 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 spoke to you? I mean, I'm going to ask you which one you like the most because that's essentially what this question is. But was there one that you felt would, that matched your sensibility out of the three that you just fell head over heels for? Well, I liked all of them for different reasons, but Doug was produced in New York. Yeah. So, you know, I... I went down every Friday afternoon and hung out at the studio mm. and it was heaven. And I got to know Jim really well, Jim Jenkins, the creator of Doug. And I got to know everyone there really well, Yvette Kaplan and, you know, Carol Milliken, people like that who were, you know, passing through on their way to Beavis and Butthead where they would all eventually <laughs> go. But, um, you know, I got to know all the people working there and uh, made a lot of friends in the animation industry just, through going down there and spending time. So I have I have kind of a sentimental uh memory of of how much fun that was to just yeah. to be on site where the show was being made. And you know, they were always really nice when I'd show up. Like I wouldn't even call. I would just show up and you know, there I'd be and you know, they let me wander around and everything. It was kind of a, you know, it was sort of like a uh, like everybody was always very busy because, you know, there were the deliveries were so tight, but it was an exciting time. And so it was exciting to be able to go see things being made in New York. Um, you know, and I'd go out to L.A. a couple times a year and, you know, visit Ren and Stimpy and visit Rugrats. And that was always fun. And I would would always be doing development everywhere because that's what I was in charge of was uh, development. But 
I really liked going to hang out at Doug. So when I when I see Doug now, I have kind of a, you know, a memory of all of that. And, and it was a lot of fun. And the people making it were all really funny. Um, uh, Ken Scarborough, one of the writers, I always thought he was hilarious. So, you know, I could go and hang out with the writers and, you know, they'd let me hang around. Al Higgins, I think, was there and this guy Dieter. So, you know, they were just super cool. So I'd go hang out with them or, you know, just whoever was around. There was a um, background guy that I liked a lot, Michael Zadorozny. He was super mm -hmm. talented. So I'd go hang out with him. So, you know, all these people, they, you know, because I was the network, they had to be nice to me. But, you know, I just go and see what everybody was working on and, you know, like the timers and the board people and stuff. So I learned a lot about animation, just kind of wandering around there because people would always show me what they were working on. So, uh, so I mean, you know, so there's a reason why, you know, why I liked it so much, but, you know, I, I, I did enjoy working on that. And then, um, right after that, we, uh, you know, we did the, did the Rocco pilot and Rocco got picked up for series. And then we put that in production in LA, but I spent a lot of time out there right after that got uh, started because we were setting up the studio. So we had a lot of stuff that we had to do. So I was, I was out there all the time in LA after that. So, um, so, you know, I, I got to work a lot on Rocco, probably more than any other show. Uh, and, and so that was a lot of fun, too. Yeah, you know, they it's, were like figuring it out as we did it. And so, again, there it was very emotional. There was a lot of arguing and a lot of things that went wrong. But there were also a lot of things that came together nicely. And, and it was fun. Yeah, I, I got to imagine. I mean, you could just tell the the heart and soul that Jim and his team put uh, put into Doug. It just oozed off yeah. the screen. I mean, I'm slimed off the screen, whatever you want to call it, if you want to stick with the Nickelodeon slime gag. But it was just it was there. It was. Oh, yeah. You could feel it. You could see it. You could hear it. You could right. you could just absorb it watching this. Well, Jim was Doug. Jim was mm -hmm. Doug. And a lot of those stories were Jim's stories. And a lot of those people were people Jim knew and, you know, important people in his life. And I liked that. I liked that, you know, it was, uh, you know, it, it, I mean, sometimes the the first drafts of the stories would be hilarious. And then they'd sort of get, um, you know, a, a little, some of the edgier stuff would get taken out as they, yeah. you know as the the edits went along but um what's the edgiest thing you saw anything i can't remember anything specific i just remember a couple of times i read a first draft and i was like oh that's gonna get edited but that's how <laughs> <I do."> so <laughs> a few of those yeah that's awesome um you had mentioned in uh a, a couple interviews that i've heard you um Mm -hmm. recently not recently it's been a couple of years but uh you had said you'd wanted to be an animator when you're really young i think you had actually brought it up on, on the first time we talked as well mm -hmm. um with you being able to tour a lot of these studios like doug and when when um, mm -hmm. rocco was going and uh, ren and stempy mm -hmm. would you ever get like curious to say like hey hey can i see the pencil and try to do a little bit of a background can you show me how to do something like that would that itch ever come back like oh i kind of want to do this again well i'd watch everyone really carefully i was always delighted at the way they could draw. I remember sitting in a meeting one time and watching Dan Pavenmeyer, who worked on Rocco, he was just mm -hmm. like doodling something. 
on a, a yellow post-it. And, you know, afterwards it was the most sort of like photorealistic drawing of whoever he was drawing a picture of that I'd ever seen in my life. And this was just like a, you know, a thing he doodled and just like left on the table. And yeah. I was like, you know, always in awe of everybody, you know, they were all, you know, the, everybody was so talented. I was, I was so not talented compared to them. And so, so if anything, it kind of reminded me that, you know, I made the right decision, but it was still lucky that I'd ended up in, in working in animation, given that, you know, I, I had, I had so little to bring to the art form, you know, but I could, you know, I could sort of like, like, you know, it was hard for me to explain to a lot of people exactly what I did because, you know, the term network executive just sounds gruesome, but doesn't sound terribly productive. And, you know, my main thing was development. So, so that's pretty simple. I would look for uh, things that I thought would work for whatever network I was working for, and then try to work with the creators to kind of, you know, make it perfect and do a pilot and, uh, you know, get it to series. And so with the knowledge that, you know, I would probably be picking up, you know, like, like, you know, one out of every hundred pitches that I looked at, you know, some terrible odds like that. Um, I, you know, got used to looking at a lot of things and just looking for certain things, but, you know, I, I, you know, I would look for those things that sort of make you think, oh, you know, I, I get where that series would go. That looks like a, you could tell some really good stories. That seems like a great character. Uh, sometimes you'd have that feeling of, I can't believe that this isn't already a series. That idea yeah. seems so relatable. How is it that this show doesn't exist? And I always liked that feeling. That feeling meant, you know, go for this. And then sometimes you'd see things and you'd think, I've never seen anything like that, but that's a really funny idea. Like Courage the Cowardly Dog was the kind of thing where you think, that's a really funny idea. That's mm -hmm. It's like so simple and so funny. And, you know, it was impossible not to be like, oh, what would that, what would that be like? That seems just quirky enough that, you know, it could work. So, so I would look for those kinds of things. And, uh, and I, you know, I realized that, you know, that was, it was sort of a, a interesting sort of, it was sort of like a heightened version of being a fan. It was sort of like, you know, being a fan, it, being the first fan, you know, you'd mm -hmm. see these, yeah. you know, sketches or something and you'd think, oh, that would make a good show or that looks really cool. And, you know, you get all excited and and it was really like, you know, you're the first person to be like, oh, yeah, I want to make a show out of that. And so, uh, so, no, I never really like there were times where I wished I could draw better watching people draw. And there were times where I just see them effortlessly draw something complicated and think, well, they made that look kind of easy. I wonder if I could do that. And the answer is no, no, I couldn't. But um but, you know, so it really, if anything, just gave me more respect for people who could draw and, and people who could animate and people who had the patience to stick with it. Uh, so I just mostly felt like psyched that I could be there, like I could be part yeah. of it, having so few skills and, you know, just being a big fan with a job. You know, I thought, wow, this is like this is awesome. 
And so, uh, so that, that was, you know, that feeling, you know, kind of lasted for many years. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I, you know, I like, sometimes I would, I would doodle little comic strips for people and they would think they were funny, but I think they, yeah. they also, they thought my drawing was funny because, you know, it was so bad, but uh, <laughs> Do we have an uh, Art of Linda book coming later this year? Is that what you're telling us? Uh, no, no, we don't. But From the yeah, desk of Linda. Uh, that could be the name. But, of you it. know, it was funny because I would sit and and doodle in, in meetings at Nick and people would come up to me afterwards and ask for my notes and I would just give them to them because I would like draw roller coasters and I would like just draw whatever big thing was on my mind. And I think nobody else had the nerve to just sit down with a big piece of paper and get working, you know. <laughs> And uh, like they were, everyone else was like serious about their jobs. And I was like, I'm going to be drawing in this meeting. And uh, and so I would sit and draw a lot, but like, it wasn't like the way they could draw an animation studio, but, you know, as a network executive, expectations were low for our art. So I could get (laughs) away with it. And um, I've heard other people tell stories about me sitting in meetings and drawing and, and they're pretty funny. So that's, you know, I, I have limited recollection because I, I think I was very conscious of the fact that, you know, I was no longer the stellar employee I wanted to be. <laughs> I was just like somebody sitting there drawing during a meeting and uh, not supposed to be. But it it kept me focused. I, uh, you know, I have. I have I have been cursed with a short attention span and uh, it's definitely made sitting in long meetings hard. But, you know, it's uh, it's just one of those things. I've accepted it, you know. Sometimes you got to. And when you were talking, there's one thing that uh, that I, I thought as soon as you said it, you, you were always looking for that X factor of a show. What made this different from this one? What made this one pop? Why was somebody going to sit down with a short attention span? Because I have that same short attention span. The reason I love animation is because same reason I love the NBA. It's it's quick. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom. Yeah. There's something always happening yeah. and it keeps yep. my attention. So it's always something new, you know? So that's why I connect with it. Other than the, the medium is beautiful. The voice acting is stellar. You know, the mm-hmm. stories are fantastic. It's just like, there's always something new happening. So it sounded like that's what you were looking for too with these shows. What's new? What's good? Mm-hmm. What's going to sell? But what is, what makes this show Doug? What makes Doug Doug? And you found that. Mm-hmm. What makes Rugrats Rugrats? You guys found mm-hmm. that. Um, so you're really good with finding the X factor of a show. Now, when you were walking through the studios, did you ever mm-hmm. flash back to what little Linda would have been like? You know, that little girl, like, oh my God, I'm getting to live a dream. I'm getting to be around animation in some form. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I feel like li- little Linda is kind of like built in, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, I'm still a large percentage little Linda, yeah. and um, and it's it's funny because I all the time, you know, even now I still have moments of like I can't believe this, and uh, and so you know I'm like sort of in a a perpetual state of like I can't believe I'm here, I can't believe I'm doing this, this is so cool, and uh, yeah, the the time that I felt. I I was most aware of the eight-year-old in me or the six-year-old in me was uh, the one time I got to go to the Oscars. And this was a very exciting thing. It was, uh, so Courage the Cowardly Dog, the pilot, had gotten an Oscar nomination, which is great. 
and um, Fred Seibert was going from Hanna-Barbera and uh, Betty Cohen had been invited from uh, from Cartoon Network and she couldn't make it and Mike Lazo couldn't make it. So they came to me and they're like, can you can you go to the Oscars on our behalf? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. And I, I couldn't I couldn't believe that alone that I was going to the Oscars. Um, but the big excitement would come later, which was um, Turner was was there for two things. One was courage. Um, the other was the uh, the Turner films had produced a documentary about Hank Aaron. Mm -hmm. So the head of Turner films was there and uh, and Hank Aaron and his wife were there. And um, so and I Hank Aaron was a very big deal. The probably like one of the two years that I was really into baseball as a kid. And um, I was a Mets fan, but I was also a big Hank Aaron fan. And, uh, you know, I was, I guess, you know, that was like, what, 73, 74. I can't even remember now, but like there was this, this, you know, the six-year-old, the eight-year-old in me Mm -hmm. was like, okay, you're at the Oscars. You're at the dinner afterwards. You are sitting next to Hank Aaron. He's not talking to you because <laughs> you're both, you know, he's shy and you're tongue tied. Um, oh, look, he's talking to Robin Williams now. Huh. And, oh, wow. You know, one by one, each person's coming over to him and being like, you know, 714. And uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I was just like, wow, he must have to put up with this a lot. And then I'd go back to, oh, my God, but I'm. I'm I'm sitting next to Hank Aaron and uh who again was paying no attention to me but you know I was just sitting there just in utter disbelief. The other funny thing was the woman who ran Turner Films um she that was the night that I met her and she was great her name was Pat Mitchell she was uh she's very supportive of me and she went on to be the president of PBS after Turner Films. Wow. So, so in case you're ever wondering how I made my way to PBS, it involved a <laughs> call to Pat Mitchell, the only person I knew at PBS, and you know, saying, "Do you think I'd be a good for good fit for that job?" And uh, and she was like, "Really? <laughs> I would not expect you to be interested in coming to PBS, but yeah, sure." <laughs> and why, that was, why why would she say that? Uh, cause I was so into cartoons and PBS was so sincere yeah. and, uh, I was, I wanted to bring my version of cartoon making to PBS and see if I could make educational cartoons that were fun and funny. So that was my goal, but she, you know, she set me up. So, uh, she hooked me up with the head of programming. So I was always eternally grateful to her for that. But anyway, that was the night I met her and that was the night I met Hank Aaron and the eight-year-old in me was just like, oh my God. <laughs> so, uh, so yes. So, so, you know, every, every animation studio I walk through, even now, you know, every, every person that I meet that does cool stuff, I'm still like, wow, I can't believe this. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's that, it's that level of wonder that kind of gets you through these jobs because, you know, they're, they're hard. You're saying no to people all the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
you know, it, you want to say yes, you like these people, but you can't, you have to say no to most of them. So, uh, so yeah, so, uh, you know, and even now, you know, working in tech, I'm still like, uh, you know, kind of, kind of amazed by some of the things I, I've witnessed, you know, like that yeah. I know people who can do the magic that engineers can do. Engineers it's... and animators are actually pretty similar in a lot of ways. Yeah, how so? They have that sort of, um, you know, just kind of single-minded kind of like, you know, I'm going to do a thing that's really hard to do. I'm going to, you know, you know, in animation, it's like, you know, I have an idea and I'm going to make it so. I'm going to take the thing in my head and... and Give it life. Yeah, make it move and... Uh, You know, if you've ever like seen something and you've tried to capture it and do something with it, it's not easy. So, uh, so I think, I think you know, engineers have that same skill. They think something up and they say, "Okay, I'm going to write something up. I'm going to write up a program that can do that." And uh, you know, it's that it's that same sort of bringing life to you know something that was just a thing in your head a few days earlier. So, very similar. I've tried to do both and I've failed at both. So I, I can agree. They're, they're very similar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, but I couldn't agree more, man. They, they both put in something that they see up here. It has to run down that arm and onto a piece of paper or a computer screen. So a lot of right. similarities. Yeah. Um, yeah. With uh, speaking of you having to say no to a lot and very rarely mm -hmm. you to say yes, you know, it's only reserved mm -hmm. for the best of the best. Was there any studios that told you guys no that you wanted very, very badly to come over to Nickelodeon when you guys were starting? Um, you know, there were always people that I really wanted to work with who were busy working on their own films or busy working on their mm -hmm. own things, and I never got to work with them. Cordell Barker, I think, is is was sort of like my number one person I wanted to work with. He did the film The Cat Came Back for the National Film Board up in Canada. He was a um, uh, Winnipeg-based animator, and I loved the cat came back so much that you know I I was always you know trying to do something, trying to get him to you know like work on you know do his own pitch and uh, things like that. Uh, I think I got him to do some character designs for something once, but we weren't able to use them in the end. But uh, he was someone I really wanted to work with. And, you know, there were other people, too. Um, just, you know, like a lot of I remember uh, uh, Vanessa convinced me to send uh, Bill Watterson a letter mm -hmm. saying that, you know, we, you know, we wanted to do. Uh, Calvin and Hobbes's animation. And I said, he's never going to do this. I've read all the interviews with him and he always says he's never going to animate Calvin and Hobbes. And she's like, you know, write the letter. So, <laughs> so I did. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he wasn't interested. And, and then I remember. Um, all right. As we take a pause for the cause, if you haven't yet, you should check us out on all social media platforms by searching at in my head pod. There you can see who we've got coming on, and if you feel so inclined to, you could submit a question to be asked. Now, let's get back to the show. Uh, you know, just talking to a lot of different different uh, people in in comics, and and a lot of them weren't terribly interested in doing animation. Um, 
my favorite person in, in comics at that point was uh, the guy, Lincoln Purse, who was doing uh, Big Nate. And I, I said to him uh, at the time, I, I said, you know, I, I, I don't think we want to we want to take Big Nate because whatever it is, I think we'd want to own it. But do you have any other ideas? And we did a pilot with him that I thought was really funny. Um, but we ended up doing a second pilot with him. And then I think Cartoon Network even did more pilots with him after I left. Um, but like, I really wanted to work with him. And, uh, and so when Big Nate ended up at Nick, I was like, well, that's full, full circle. Cause it was at Nick that, uh, I was introduced to his work back in the very early 90s and thought, okay, I really like this guy. He's clearly influenced by old cartoons. I like to work with him. And I did love working with him. So, uh, you know, I'm glad Big Nate worked out and, you know, went to Nick. It, it kind of felt like it was full circle. So that was kind of cool. And uh, yeah, so there were some comics people I wanted to work with that, uh, you know, just never worked out and I'm trying to think no it was mostly mostly comics people and and even when I was at PBS I was trying to get some uh children's book authors to work with me and uh uh and they were like no nah, I kind of like doing my books and yeah. you know like they, they all didn't want to they didn't like tv a lot of them <laughs> they would say I don't even have a tv and uh be like, oh, okay, that might not work then. But uh yeah, that was that was kind of funny. Do you read the uh do you read the funny papers now? I do. I do. Me too. That's the only reason I buy the newspaper every Sunday and Thursday. I was just gonna say we still get the newspaper because I want to read the comics in print. I want to so. do the word search on the back and then I reward myself by getting to read the comics. If I can, if yeah. I can do a task where like I try to do it now, especially as you get older, you try to do things that keep your, your, your mental acumen, you know, firing on all mm -hmm. cylinders. So I always do the word search, both word searches and a couple of the other puzzles. And then I, mm -hmm. I say, all right, you've earned these comics now. So if anybody says you're only buying this for the comics, you say, I'm like, no, I'm doing this brain <laughs> stuff in the back. <laughs> right. Right. No, I mean, I do read the paper, but I, I we get it so that I could read the comics. And what's uh, your favorite comic to read? So I like rhymes with orange and mm -hmm. I like, um, let's see. I've, I've got the comics right here. I was always a huge Calvin and Hobbes fan. So yeah. I uh, still, for me, that was, you know, I was Peanuts and Calvin and Hobbes, but I can't think of anyone that, uh, you know, that I things. know isn't obsessed with both of those. But I, uh, let's see, I was always a Doonesbury fan too. So yeah, Rhymes with Orange. And um, uh, I actually kind of like, um, uh, well, I still read Big Nate, uh, mm -hmm. big fan of that. And uh, yeah, you know, I um, I'd say those are my favorites. Those are my yeah. favorites. But uh, a lot of other ones, you know, I love the drawing in Mutts, and I love the drawing in a lot of these. And uh, you know, they're um, you know, they're they're good. But yeah, I'd say you know, I always make sure I read uh, uh, Rhymes with Orange and Big Nate and uh, and Doonesbury. Those are, those are the ones I like. Um, speed bump too. That's just a single panel, but speed I think bump. speed bumps really funny. So, 
I've always been curious if you guys had the same comics that we had every week. By you guys, I mean anybody else in any other county, yeah. you know. Um, obviously, you're going to have a Peanuts. I, I always thought when I was younger, like, if I'm reading this in Florida, because my mom never read the comics, somebody over in California or Washington, they're reading the same panel right now. And it wasn't until right. I got a little bit older where it's like it's not really like that. They run whatever they want to run. But the two that I love the most that I always look forward to, Mm-hmm. Well, three really. Uh, Peanuts, of course, greatest of all mm-hmm. time, in my opinion. Uh, I love yeah. Blondie, mm-hmm. and I just started liking Blondie a lot more probably in the last year of buying the uh, newspaper than I ever did as a kid. Um, huh. And then Beetle Bailey is always really, really fun. Oh, I like Beetle yeah. Bailey a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, you know, I read those as a kid, and a, a big thing for me was going up to Mort Walker's um, uh, Cartoon Art Museum when he had it up in uh, uh, New York. Um, somewhere in like you know uh scarsdale or somewhere like that and i can't remember where but somewhere in that county and i remember going and you know it was a it was all the cartoonists had drawn in the bathroom on the bathroom wall and everything and that was so cool it was my first time going to something like that and so that was very exciting going to that and then they moved to florida and i went to see it in florida and uh and i think it's closed now but um yeah, I would always try to go to things like that. And so I remember going to, uh, and Mort Walker's family, I think they ran it. Mm-hmm. I could be getting that wrong, but I think he was pretty connected to it. I think it was his thing. So uh, it was in this building that looked like a castle. Yeah. For that. Yeah. It's pretty fitting. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, those are like classic comics, you know, they're still, they still work today. You know, there's a lot to be said for that. I uh, absolutely now and then I I stumble across some comic strip that looks really cool and that I've never heard of, and it's just not syndicated here. Mm-hmm. So there was a um a cartoonist Richard Thompson. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Can't remember the name of his strip right right now, but um that was uh one of also one of the best ones I'd ever seen. So uh it was he was a local guy. Um, and that was uh, that was when you were a kid, or that was when? No, that was when I moved here. Uh, it was, uh, you know, I, like this guy's stuff was in the Washington paper, and I was like, oh, this guy is amazing. Yeah, let's see, I'll Richard. Check him. I'm trying to remember uh, what the name of his strip was. Um, you know, I have to. I've I've written so much stuff down here that I can go back because I always go back and listen to these episodes and pull some stuff that way I can further my knowledge too. But I've written so much stuff down, uh, just on this last uh, little bit of talking, so I got a lot of a uh, lot of studying to do when I get off of this one. Um, there was uh, one thing I had heard you had mentioned, um, and we had talked a little bit about it before um, we hit record that I never really heard you talk too much about, and that was uh, the SpongeBob. How SpongeBob kind of came you and Steven Hillenberger met and everything like that. And then Steven sending a little letter saying, Hey, can you get to some cartoon network? I would love for the fans to hear uh, that story. If you're okay with telling it again. Yeah, sure. Sure. I, I only know that it happened because I have evidence of it in mm-hmm. the form of a copy of the pitch and yeah. uh, a letter from Steve. So, uh, so cul-de-sac was the name of the Richard Thompson uh, comics. Cul-de-sac. Check out cul-de-sac. Yeah. It's really great. Okay, so uh, I first, uh, you know, I was familiar with Steve's films before I met him, and it was um, 
it was while we were working on Rocco, he was recruited to be one of the directors on the, on the show. And when I, you know, when I met him, I was like, Oh, I know your films. I've seen them in festivals. And so, so he was really great on, uh, he was a, a great Rocco director and, you know, he had definite skills and we had decided, Oh yeah, we should offer him a development deal. So we got to know each other pretty well while I was, you know, talking to him about a development deal. And I, I will admit, he said to me, yeah. So the idea I have is it's about a sponge, an underwater sponge. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was just like, I'm sure it'll be great. But, um, you know, I really wasn't 100% sure it would be great because, you know, it was hard to know at that point. But he was really funny and his stuff was very quirky. And so I had uh, high hopes for it. And uh, so we had, we'd gone out to lunch. We went to this place. There was a place in, uh, in the valley called Sushi Nazawa. And it was a big animation hangout, but it was also like the best sushi in all of LA, as far as most of us were concerned. So big animation hangout, lots of cells on the walls and drawings and things. So we went there, it was very close to um, uh, where, where Nickelodeon's animation studio was at that point. So we had lunch, we talked about development. Uh, and then not long after that, I left for um uh for Cartoon Network. So didn't get to work with Steve past offering him the development deal. Like I wasn't even part of really like working out the details of the deal. Because I, I left not long after that. But so, you know, a couple of years later, uh, you know, there we are, you know, working in I don't know where he he calls me and he said, um, so nothing's really happened with my pilot here. Do you think it would work for Cartoon Network? Do you want to take a look at the uh, no, he had he done the pilot yet? I can't remember now, but he he basically sent me the pitch for the series and it wasn't there was no pilot with it. It was just the pitch. And I think maybe he hadn't done the pilot yet, but I think he was like, yeah, they haven't made a decision about it yet. I don't think they're interested. Would you want to um, take a look at it? And I was like, how could they not be interested? And, you know, I was just surprised by that because it seemed like a no brainer to me just to work with him. And uh, so he, he, he said, uh, can I send you the pitch? And so he sends me the pitch and, you know, I'm thinking, well, if, if Nickelodeon's put money into it, you know, it's probably not really available. And then I was like, maybe he just needs me to say that we would do it. Yeah. So that you could tell them at, at, at Nick and then Nick will just pick it up. I don't, I, you know, I never quite knew if that's what he wanted or if he really sincerely was like, yeah, I don't think Nick wants it. Do you want it? So, you know, I just, um, you know, I called him and I, I said, uh, I said, yeah, we'll do your pilot. I mean, I didn't even go through the whole process of asking anybody because I knew it would never make it to us. I just said, yeah, you know, we'll do your pilot. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe that'll make Nick speed up. And, uh, you know, there are all these stories I've heard where people are like, you know, they, you know, like they it, right in the room, they picked up the project. But that's not true. Or I wouldn't have this copy of the pitch and this letter from Steve saying, any interest in in doing this so you know i do have this letter and so uh so so anyway they right after that they uh they did pick it up and i think i think that's when it went to pilot was was after that but 
Um, so I'd like to think, you know, that had something to do with them, you know. Oh, yeah. More quickly because, uh, you know, Cartoon Network, and, you know, Cartoon Network 100% absolutely would have been like, sure, because, you know, everyone thought Steve was very talented. So, so yeah, it wouldn't have been an issue. I, they would have absolutely made that pilot. So, um, so yeah, so I, uh, so every year that I teach the, uh, the history of children's television, I, I take out the original SpongeBob pilot and I show my students and I show them the letter from Steve and, you know, we look at it, it's sort of like, you know, historical, historically significant in my mind. Just a little bit, just a yeah. little bit. One of the biggest yeah. shows of all time. Um, do you have it laminated? No, no, you know, I haven't laminated it. I, uh, I, I just, I think it's in pencil too. So I probably should laminate it. Yeah. You want to preserve <laughs> that as long as possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. With, uh, with that being said, you know, whenever somebody comes up in the show that are no longer here, um, mm -hmm. we always like to reminisce for just a little bit. Steven had a huge part in so many of our mm -hmm. childhoods, especially my age, you know, mm -hmm. at 34 yeah. years, uh, yeah. 34 year old. I mean, I was hitting right when spongebob was or spongebob was hitting right when i was you know just yeah. knee deep in cartoons man but do you have any fun memories when you think about steven you know anything come to mind other than that him sending you that pitch that he knew cartoon network couldn't do anything with so we got to go to annecy together i was just there as like you know network executive but he was there because uh he had directed an episode of rocco that had gotten in and so he was there and uh i think also his uh his film no maybe he hadn't i think he was there because one of his films from from his you know from grad school had gotten in i think that's it um i i can't remember if he if he was there with rocco also but he was there i already knew him because he was working on rocco and we got to hang out in annecy together a lot and uh you know I don't remember, you know, any crazy, you know, like tap dancing down the street or anything, but we had fun. <laughs> you know, we hung out and we had a good time and, you know, it was, it was fun. And uh, he was just a really nice guy, mm -hmm. you know, really friendly, funny, you know, not crazy, nothing like that. He's just a really nice guy. Um, yeah. I, uh, I remember at one point, he he doodled a little picture of me and it was probably the strangest picture of me that was you know ever drawn by someone who was not me but i i did save it it's somewhere in my in my file cabinets but get that laminated uh, too yeah i probably should yeah yeah that'd be really cool yeah. um <clears throat> thank you for sharing those stories uh now i know we jumped a little bit all over um, all over that tenure for Nickelodeon. But the reason I do this, Linda, is so I can say, hey, Linda, can we go over something else in your career and I can have you back on? Because I love having you on. You're one of my favorite guests. I, I, oh, it seems you. like I say that. No, thank you. It seems like I say that about everybody I have on because I'm such a huge fan of everything you guys gave to me and so many of us. But I truly love talking to you because you're so insightful. You're from the other side of the production. So you got to see something that doesn't really get to get spoke spoken about because you mm -hmm. you know you want to hear the creator you want to hear the artist you want to hear the writers mm -hmm. you want to hear the voice actors very right. rarely do you get to hear you guys's perspective on when a show comes so like i said i always i always love hearing uh you know what happened on your side of the uh mm -hmm. of the coin for animation um so with that being said i figure we can rotate into some fans questions uh we had quite a bit so we'll try to answer mm -hmm. as many as possible or try to ask as many as possible um <clears throat> 
And uh, like I said, these were right. I tried to keep it, ladies and gentlemen, just to Nickelodeon questions. So if you did ask a question that wasn't Nickelodeon um, related, we will skip it just because there was quite a bit of questions. So the first one up, um, when you arrived at Nick, was the atmosphere uh, like, oh, what was the atmosphere like under uh, leadership from Jerry? I know you talked about Jerry quite a bit in the beginning, but mm -hmm. uh, does anything stick out as far as her leadership skills? What did you like the most about working for Jerry? Well, I I liked a lot about working for Jerry because she was um, really like very she was very honest mm -hmm. and also surprising, and I liked those two things about her. Like when we would have a staff meeting, she would talk about you know like meetings she'd gone to, and and she would be very honest. Like if something went wrong, she would tell us about what went wrong and. You know, we'd all learn from it or we'd laugh at, you know, whatever funny thing happened. And, uh, you know, it, she just seemed very, uh, like, very real. Like, she mm -hmm. wasn't sugarcoating things and she was sort of acting very, uh, like, very, like, like she was real. And, yeah. you know, that Straight not shooter. Every, yeah, not every executive acted like that and, but everyone at nick did it was a really great culture in like i got there in 1986 there were maybe about 40 people there it was like just a fantastic place to work everybody was supportive everybody was nice everybody was very gung-ho uh you know there was a, a little bit of quirkiness because it was kids tv you know sometimes like you know people would get really excited about things and run around and make a lot of noise and it was kind of fun um i really liked it there uh and i think jerry had a lot to do with that environment i think that that was uh you know because she she wanted us to be like that the other thing I liked about her is that if you were having a conversation with her, the things she would ask you about or the things she would say to you would be something that you never could have imagined she would ask you or say. Mm -hmm. She would surprise you by just kind of, you know, just saying a thing that you didn't expect. And uh, I think I picked that up from her. Like I picked yeah. up that that's a fun thing to do, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like to just, you know sort of challenge people by doing that. And I, I, there've been many times where people have like said things to me and I've said things back to them and they've said, okay, that was the one thing I wasn't expecting you to say. And I would, <laughs> I'd flash back to Jerry Laybourne and me in a meeting thinking, okay, well, that was the one thing I didn't expect her to ask me about. And, and I really appreciated that about her. She was surprising. And, you know, she, she took the uh, time to, uh, surprise someone like me, you know, she didn't just keep her surprising to other, you know, to important people. She was willing to, you know, like have a chat with me and catch me off guard and, and things like that. So I feel like it was really good training for the rest of my career. Of course, I, you know, I expected all executives to be like Jerry. And then I, I realized, no, she was, she was very unique. <laughs> and, um, we, we did a, uh, uh, we did an interview one time at kids screen where she was the guest and I was, uh, the interviewer. And I, I, you know, as a, you know, as a professor, I've explained many times, you know, the significance of, of Jerry and her work and how important it was and how she changed kids TV. And, you know, she changed 
like the world for for people who grew up with Nickelodeon back in the 80s and early 90s. And, you know, I could go on and on about it. So I give this lengthy introduction sort of explaining to everyone at kids screen, you know, Jerry's significance in the industry. And I get through the whole thing and she looks at me and she goes, when the time comes, will you come and say my eulogy for me? And, <laughs> and, and, and I was like, sure. <laughs> I worked hard on this, so sure. But, uh, you know, I, I was always sort of like, you know, just amazed by her and always really thankful that I got to work with her because she was, um, you know, I think she taught us all how to think. Mm -hmm. uh, I think she taught us all just to to really, you know, just think differently and, um you know, and she wasn't going around saying, I'm so unique and I'm teaching you to think differently. She just did it. She just did yeah. it. She just challenged us in ways that no one else ever has, even though people have tried. And uh, it was just a, a really amazing point in time. And a lot of people who worked at Nick in that era went on to do great things. And I think it's because we had this good training. And, I, you know, I'm always just so thankful that I got to work with her because she was just so, so amazing. And, um, you know, any any stories you hear about how great it was at that point in time, those were true. It really yeah. was that great. And um, the early years of Cartoon Network similarly were also great. You know, there was there was a period of Cartoon Network where it was just every day was it was like nutty and um, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I, I feel like, you know, the time to work at a company is at the beginning, you know, mm -hmm. before, just before that, like, while they're, the ideas are great, but you know, you're not assured of success because mm -hmm. once you're really successful, the pressure kicks in. So got to work in two really interesting companies before the, the, you know, the real pressure kicked in. And then when the pressure did kick in, it was less fun, but, um, you know, I'm I'm glad that I I overlapped with Jerry for so many years because that was great. You know, in the very early years, of course, I was a little intimidated by her, but I got to know her a little better, and and um, and that was good. That definitely helped. So I could just talk with her. So, you know, now I could I could probably feel a lot more comfortable around her. So, <laughs> but you know, young Linda, twenty three, not so much. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm glad she had such a positive influence on you and it rubbed off because you helped a lot of people um, meet a lot of their dreams by doing what she instilled in so many of you guys. So it all it all pays itself full circle. Um, the next question here, uh, what show, in your opinion, had the most challenging to get greenlit but made it on the air still? Is there any one that stuck out that was hard? Oh, yeah. Let's see. Um, you know, the in the era that, I was at Nick. Um, the you know it was basically from from Rugrats and 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 Doug and Ren and Stimpy up through. Uh, you know I worked on a couple of pilots and uh, one was was Angry Beavers and one was um, Hey Arnold and Hey Arnold was actually pretty easy. You know it's like we made a pilot and everyone loved it and you know and. Then the show went Rest right into history. Production. Yeah, yeah. I'd say under me, uh, Angry Beavers was probably the the show that was um, 
hardest to get going. The, you know, there, there were shows that we worked on that were really hard to get going that didn't get going. There were several, mm -hmm. there were pilots that didn't make it. And uh, looking back, it's very easy to see why they didn't work. But in the moment, you know, it, it, we were doing our best to make them work and, and they just didn't. But, um, you know, at the, at the time, I'd say of everything that actually went to series, Angry Beavers was probably the hardest because people would say things like, why are they angry? Yeah. And uh, they didn't even seem very angry. You know, they seemed bemused. So, uh, so I couldn't answer that question. Yeah, I got uh, Mitch coming on in a couple weeks. Oh yeah, you can ask yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Ask oh. him why they're so angry, because I <laughs> I could never quite answer that, and I was like, it's just funny. I've watched that pilot in recent years, and I was like, wow, that's like a compendium of things you can't do anymore. Oh boy, oh boy, isn't it? Yeah. So many things on Nickelodeon, Cartoon oh. Network, or shit you can't do anymore. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Even Doug, you know, Doug was filled with bullies and you know taunts. Mm -hmm. And you know, all sorts of things like that. And you wouldn't think Doug had anything in it that was problematic, but nothing aged well. You no. know, it's a different world for sure. 30 years down the road. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're uh, so this one might be a little difficult, but was there did you ever have a top five favorite of the Nickelodeon commercials during your time there? Any of the commercials that you guys put together stick out to you? Ah, the commercials. Um yeah, I liked a lot of the IDs. A lot of the IDs that were done by uh, animators whose work mm -hmm. I liked. Um, I would be excited when they would come and, you know, make IDs for Nick. So, um, yeah, I liked uh, Marv Newland did a couple and I always liked those. And and of course, Colossal did a bunch of, of uh, IDs that I really liked. They were cool looking. And... Uh, Joey Albums stuff, of course. I, I always I always felt like Joey Albums work was like the essence of 1980s Nickelodeon, the doo-wop dinosaurs, things like that. Uh do you remember the the dinosaurs at all, or was that before your time? I I wanna say I do because it's just one of those things that's like the core memory unlocks. And I want to say I've seen it, but I just don't know if I saw it as a kid or I saw it recently, you know, with the last yeah. 15, 20 years. Yeah, so uh, I would say just about anything from the uh, mid eighty. They did a a package of of IDs from animators, from all different animators, and uh, just about any of those IDs I really liked. Mm -hmm. uh, not all of them equally, but like Marv Newland, Joey, uh, uh, Colossal, all of those were great. So, so yeah. See, those those stuck yeah, but, you know, the the promos on Nick were great. You know, sometimes yes. the promos were, you know, the packaging that that's that was a typical MTV networks kind of approach. You know, sometimes the packaging was better than the programming. The branding was brilliant. And that's something that I've wondered with streaming It's like, mm -hmm. well, it's streaming is basically just the same as cable, but without the branding. Yeah. And it, do we miss the branding? sometimes I, I feel like i do yeah because it seems like it's here to stay it's not a flash in the pan if that makes any sense like you look at mcdonald's and you're mm -hmm. like they've been around for a long time coca-cola yeah. yeah those guys have been around for a long time so you you could put trust into it you could put a little bit more faith into it that it's always going to be there 
but right. you can also say the opposite of like if something's not there forever you got to watch it now you got to watch it faster so mm-hmm. essentially i don't know what the hell i'm talking about right now linda because i could go 50 50 either way <laughs> yeah no i think that i think that you know there was something about the branding on nick that made you feel like you were part of something mm-hmm. and you know they had all those promos about you know nick is kids nick is you you know yes versus them kinds of things and i always thought that was particularly good branding in that moment you know it wouldn't wouldn't still be the right thing but it really worked in its time and uh you know i liked the fact that i worked somewhere where there was branding you know where they yeah. had a philosophy and that you know i could agree with that philosophy and be part of it so i enjoyed that makes it a little bit easier yeah. um do you have a do you have a big what if uh at your time on nickelodeon oh like what if that show had happened or what if you know yeah what if it didn't yeah yeah no they're they're you know when you work in tv i think you know you're just sort of like you know sort of wading through a sea of what ifs you know there's yeah. some things where you think oh, this is going to be great. And then it doesn't happen. And other things where you think, you know, oh, this is a huge embarrassment and then it's fine. Or you think, you know, this is going to be the best show ever. And it's a flop, you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, and you constantly wonder what if I had realized this, or what if I had done that? Or what if I had said this to that person or, you know, so, you know, it, I kind of stay away from too much of that kind of thinking mm-hmm. because, it's, uh, you know, it's stressful. People always want to know, you know, were there shows that, you know, we were trying to do that, that got away and things like that. And, you know, there are, there are a few things, um, you know, I, I, I think the, uh, you know, when I was working on Rocco, uh, Swampy and Dan showed me, um, Phineas and Ferb oh. and I thought it was really funny and showed it to my boss who said, it seems like two different shows. And I couldn't argue with that. I couldn't quite explain how they were going to come together and neither could the guys. And and then I, I even a few years later brought that show in at Cartoon Network thinking, OK, well, you know, they'll let me do it. And and my boss said virtually the same thing. He said, it mm-hmm. seems like two different shows. How would it work? And I couldn't answer that question and neither could they. And uh, and then, you know, when it happened and it turned out to be such a big hit, I did have a couple of moments of, well, I tried twice. What if it had worked <laughs> one of those times? And and but it didn't. But I ultimately realized that they had such a huge platform to make that show a huge hit. Clearly, the universe was saving that show for Disney so that those guys could have the biggest hit possible with it. So I came to understand that, you know, it was just fate that, you know, it happens for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. It worked out better for them. So, you know, I'm all for that. So, uh, yeah, I definitely don't think it would have been as big a hit either of the other times. And it, you know, it might've changed. I feel like Disney let them really just make the show they wanted to make. And, uh, and they did, they, you know, made exactly the show they wanted to make. So, uh, so yeah, that's probably the only time where I feel like I tried something and it just didn't, didn't happen. And, uh, and it turned out to be a big success. Yeah. 
Well, talk about a big success, man. I, I remember that one. Had, my oldest was really into that one when he was younger. Um, so we got a couple, uh, not so much questions, but uh, statements of fact from some of your friends and colleagues. Um, one of those guys we talked about earlier was uh, Courage. So David Stephen Cohen wrote in, said, Linda is the best. She gave us plenty of room to do Courage the way we wanted to. Her trust in her creatives and in her own decisions is all too rare. Um, and that was from David. And That's then cool. Peter Hannon creator oh, of cat dog yes. himself he left a heart emoji on there um with an exclamation mark so he loves you and loves working with you um yeah, great peter's great i got to work with peter in the end we worked on let's go luna together and mm -hmm. he was uh brilliant so i uh love working with peter yeah he's such a fun dude yeah. um Jerry, uh, I, I had sent you this one earlier, but uh, anytime we can give you and Jerry Beck some love, man, we like to give you and Jerry Beck some love. He said, Linda is the coolest person in the world, and I'm so proud to be your friend. Um, and you have quite a few followers after that. Thad, um, ooh, I'm going to mispronounce this one, Komorowski, uh, ditto most sincerely, and then Fran Kraus. Uh, there are very few people in the industry that are univer as universally well-respected as Linda. She's the best. Um, and then, like I said, a couple other people. Mark Newgarden said, hi, Linda. Um, and then that uh, rounds out uh, people that wrote in that you got to work with and, and hang out with. They really enjoyed working with you. Yeah, yeah. Those are a lot of people. They were all great, too. That's, that's so cool. That's, you know, they're all so talented, each one mm -hmm. of those people. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, as a... As a fan with a, you know, a network job, I always felt like, you know, my job was to be sort of like the inside person who could help yeah. them out, you know, and, 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 you know, help people get their shows and help them navigate the world. And, and, you know, even when I went to PBS, I think my, my goal was I'm going to figure out how this works here and I'm going to explain it to everyone so that they mm -hmm. can pitch shows there. You know, like that was my, <laughs> my goal, you know, I'm going to figure this out and tell everyone. So, uh, you know, I think I've, I've sort of encountered each job a little bit like a, a fan and, uh, you know, I did the things a fan would do, you know, and just try to, uh, you know, demystify the whole thing for people. And, um, you know, there were times where I, I felt like, you know, okay, well, if someone's going to get in trouble here for some crazy decision, it can be me because that will make for an interesting story. And <laughs> I would always imagined, you know, like being fired for something really stupid and going around and, you know, being able to explain for the rest of my life. Yes. And then I got fired for defending so-and-so for making, you know, this, this show with these butts, you know, like <laughs> I was like, I was like, you know, perfectly willing, although, you know, I really wasn't much of a troublemaker. And so I never did anything. And I never really worked with anyone who created anything problematic that would get the two of us in trouble. Although there were a couple of times at Cartoon Network where I got called to the principal's office, and, you know, had to answer a few questions here and there. But that's stories for another time. At Nick, you know, I tried to, uh, you know, I, 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 I wasn't that involved with Ren and Stimpy, but, you know, I couldn't have topped some of the stuff that happened with Ren and Stimpy, but um, that was not, uh, but at the point where, you know, Ren and Stimpy was, was in production, I was working a lot on development. I was trying to get a bunch of things going. So I was sort of, uh, you know, just focused. Otherwise, once that pilot and first season were done, I was kind of like onto the next thing. So I don't have a lot of Ren and Stimpy stories. Um, 
other than you know first season things but uh also that was a stressful show to work on and i can imagine yeah so but there are better people to talk to about that who were much more involved than i was but uh yeah i um i feel like you know i because it was so early on in this, you know, in sort of that wave of animation that, you know, we did get to work with a lot of really great people, sometimes at the beginning of their careers, you know, they were mm -hmm. sort of like, you know, they were just beginning to, they were talented and they were beginning to be great. But, you know, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun for all of us. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, you know, I look at people now in the industry and it's it's a scary time. You know, TV is sort of uh, it seems so uncertain. And, you know, like like a lot of studios are just trying to figure out how to keep the lights on, you know, and how to make sure they keep things going. And, and uh, you know, I, I think it's it's hard to. Uh, it's just, you know, cable was a really great time. I'm not sure streaming is as much of a fun time as cable was, uh, but the heyday of cable was was great. And anybody who was there during the heyday of cable will say to other people who were there, "Wasn't that a great time? So <laughs> <laughs> much fun! It was great." And uh, yeah, it's definitely different now. I think cable would be a lot harder. But um, I think I think there was this feeling with cable that like. You know, people were paying for it so you could experiment a little more. You know, mm -hmm. it's like they wanted you to experiment. They wanted you to do things that, you know, to surprise them. So I think yeah. we we took that seriously and it was a lot of fun. Boy, oh boy, did you guys. You guys did a great job. Um, Robbie wanted to know, how early did Nick Production start using digital coloring? Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think back to that. I they weren't using digital coloring on any of the things that I worked on. So I would say that probably came along so the studio started using digital coloring somewhere in the late 90s, I would say. So that's probably when when Nick started having some shows uh with digital coloring because that's when Cartoon Network started you know a little bit of that yeah not not a lot but you would see like even you know like you know you'd go to the korean studios and you'd see they were doing all the coloring on on a computer and it made perfect sense uh you know it was so much easier yeah so um, i'd say late 90s was probably when everyone started doing that i could be a big pushover if anybody has a as a more accurate answer, feel free to uh, let us know. But it's my recollection was late 90s. Let us know in the comments below, ladies and gentlemen, what year do we start? Um, and then the last one, and then I really enjoyed this one. I wanted to ask this one first. Uh, when I think of Nickelodeon, the this there's two things that are tied or synonymous with Nickelodeon. Hey, Arnold, greatest mm -hmm. cartoon to ever come out of Nickelodeon, in my opinion. Craig Bartlett, that man can do nothing wrong. He's on Mount Rushmore four, four I, times I over. I agree. I agree. Um, and the other thing that comes to mind when I think of Nickelodeon was Stick Stickly. Oh, I loved Stickly. Stick mm -hmm. Stickly. I loved mm -hmm. summertime getting to see him pop up, all the little interstitials he would do, the talk mm -hmm. shows. Just it, He was such a fun character, and he mm -hmm. embodied what it was like being a kid. He was just so out there and so 
childlike man. And, and like I said, there's so many people that loved him. Uh, whatever yeah, happened no, I to love him? Sticks. So I have a, I, I do have a connection to Stick Stickley, which was uh, when I got back from uh, my first trip to China, which mm -hmm. I had done with my next door neighbors at the time. Uh, they came to me and they said, can we borrow your pictures of China? We want to put Stick Stickley in them. And I was like, oh, yes, please. And I, I gave them all my pictures from China. And so if you ever saw the Stick Stickly in China pictures, those are my photos. Let me see if we can't. There's some internet sleuths out there. Ladies and gentlemen, if you can find oh. these on the internet, scour the internet, Stick Stickly. Write this one down. Uh, like I yeah, said, he was just such a I fun character. I thought about that in a long time. But yeah, that was, uh, I have this memory of uh, Aggie Fodor and Mark Sullivan working on Stick Stickly. I could be wrong, but I feel like they were the ones who were talking to me about my pictures from China. But yeah, I always felt like the on-air promos department was like the, like the farm team for brilliant work. You know, mm -hmm. all the people who went through that department were brilliant. You know, Will McRobb came out of there and Chris Viscardi and um, so many good people, so many talented people, funny people, like really funny. And, uh, you know, that's why the, you know, the branding was so good was because, you know, the, the people in on-air promos were so good and they, you know, they'd have these funny ideas and, uh, you know, here you are all these years later, reminiscing about Stick Stickly. That's pretty cool. Your your eight your little Linda, your eight year old Linda walking around the the uh the studios for Doug with Jim, that was what Nickelodeon felt like. I mean, obviously we're kids watching that, but going back and watching those cartoons elicit I what I have to imagine is the same feeling I had as a little kid. Seeing Stick Stickly for the first time, seeing Rugrats, seeing uh Rocco, seeing I was never a fan and I've still can't get a be uh can't be a fan of um Ren and Stimpy. I've tried so many times to watch it. It's just it's not for me. There's things out there for you and there's things aren't there yeah. for you. Yeah, it was never really my taste either. You know, it's like I there were moments in it that I thought were pretty funny. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I didn't I didn't have really gross out taste and uh i remember everybody at nick was really into ren and stimpy because it was so famous at the time except me and i think people expected me to be into it but i uh i was more of a doug person yeah and and you know rocco the sort of the craziness and rocco didn't really bother me as much as the grossness of ren and stimpy which just uh yeah it just wasn't my taste yeah it's not up there for everybody yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think, you know, there've been a lot of things that, that, uh, everyone loved except me. And I've always wondered yeah. what's wrong with me, but you know, it's, uh, it's okay. No. You know, no, I, absolutely love everything. No, you don't, man. You don't even have to like anything, anything you do. that's great that you find perfect. You're going to find at least four people to hate it. So it doesn't right. matter what you sure. do, man. Uh, mm -hmm. Just do what you do and and like what you like. Um, so like I said, Linda, this has always been, uh, it's always a blast having you on. Like I said, you're one of my favorite guests to have on. You're so insightful. And I really appreciate you uh, coming over here and sharing some Nickelodeon stories. Next time you come on, hopefully we can do uh, maybe we won't jump to the beginning and the end and we'll hit a little bit of that in between stuff for Nickelodeon, or we might just say screw it and go straight for PBS because there are quite a bit of PBS topics that I want to talk to you about. Um, because this was one of the series, excuse me. This is one of the networks that Hayden was ra raised on, raised on. Yeah. Raised on. Yeah. Well, that's he was cool. Younger. 
Yeah. Well, that, that would be fun to talk about. You know, it's like when I was at Nick, I was like a, it's like a child, you know, I was just mm -hmm. out of college and I was very sort of, um, you know, I had a lot of ideas, but I was, uh, you know, I was very young and I didn't have a lot of control and I didn't have a lot of cred yet. Cartoon Network, I, you know, I had a little more cred, but I also made a lot of mistakes at Cartoon Network, you know, a lot yeah. of, a lot of things that I probably could have handled better. And when I got to PBS, I was sort of like, you know, I, I like I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do at PBS. And it's sort of like I had the motor skills to make it happen, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I even had the self-control, you know, I, I, I didn't. I didn't, you know, I didn't have fits, didn't yell at anybody, you know, it's like I could, I could uh, handle myself. And, uh, and I think that's why I was able to get more done at PBS. And that was, PBS was a very encouraging and a creatively experimental place. And I think, you know, they were like, well, you know what you're doing and we don't. So just go have fun <laughs> and make something important. And I, you know, I, I knew that was an amazing opportunity. And I think the reason I lasted there so long was because they really did give us the creative freedom to try a lot of things. So all those things I learned at Nick and Cartoon, I, you know, I, I used at Nick. And then I brought back all those people I worked at Nick and Cartoon that, you know, like Craig Bartlett and Joe Murray and Peter Hannon, you know, I, I worked with all those people again so uh you know I, we were older and we were wiser and you know and calmer and uh <laughs> you know even mitchell kriegman you know i i worked with him at, at pbs too he was someone i worked with at, at at nick um and so i i think that uh you know i i think that pbs in some ways is like the culmination of everything i learned in the first two jobs you know i got to try it out and uh and and so yeah, so I'd be happy to talk about uh, PBS and you know basically how how Nick and Cartoon kind of trained me for PBS in in a in a very strange way, you know you wouldn't think that right, but you know it's it's true. I learned a lot from those first two jobs, and then you know I learned a lot at PBS, but I was able to use a lot of what I learned, and uh, you know I'd I'd like to think that we made. Uh, educational kids TV a little funnier in those years. So uh, you definitely did. Yeah, that's good. That's good. But yeah, it was fun thinking back to those. I wondered if I was going to remember all these things from those early years of Nick, but you know, they're, they're, you know, they're pretty memorable. So yes, I remember, remember a lot of things. You're going to remember a lot more things once we get off this call because it always happens. <laughs> All the stories start flooding back because you think about stuff. It's like getting out there. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever played sports back in the day, but playing basketball, that was like my everything back in the day. Mm -hmm. And then as you get older, you kind of don't play it as much. So your body mm -hmm. you know, kind of forgets that there's certain muscles that you use. Mm -hmm. And then the first time you play it after a few years, you're like, holy shit, where did that muscle come from? Same mm -hmm. concept with yeah. stories. You start talking about them. You start stretching those muscles again. You realize like, shit. I haven't thought about that time with me and Steven or that time with me and Joe in a long time. And then mm -hmm. one leads to the next one. So that's that's why we get we're gonna get part four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of Linda, ladies and gentlemen, down the Great. road. Uh Great. yeah, well, absolutely. Julian, I always love talking to you because you are fun to talk with and you have great questions and the fans have great questions. So I want to thank them as well for uh 
you know, all the things they want to hear about because, uh, you know, it's fun thinking back to that and then sharing it, giving people, uh, you know, better understanding of what was going on back then. Absolutely. It was a beautiful time to grow up and we have a lot to thank you for and so many other folks as well. So like I said, ladies and gentlemen, she's been Linda. I've been Julian. It's been a What's My Head podcast and this has been another piece of your childhood. Good night. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Before we go, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with the podcast today. I truly appreciate every download and listen we get. If you're liking what we're doing, drop us a five-star rating, drop us a review, tell a friend, and I'll see you next week.